Run if you must. Hide if you can. Scream if you are able. But above all, if you are alone, don't let them catch you. <laughs> the Slashers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Slashers, the podcast where three film critics with wildly different ideas delve into the golden age of slashers year by year. And we finally come to our penultimate episode where we are diving into the year 1984. So here are the films in this week's Blood Pool. We're going to be talking about Rocktober Blood, which was released January 1st, 1984. Fatal Games, also released January 1st. Splatter University, released July 13th, 1984. Day of the Reaper, October 31st. A Nightmare on Elm Street, November 9th. And The Initiation, December 7th, 1984. But before we dive in to each film, let's introduce who we are. My name is Megan, and I'm from Spoiler Peace Theater. I'm Paul from the Countdown Podcast. And I'm Jason from Binge Movies. So let's talk about 1984 and our overall impressions. Paul, why don't you start? It, the slasher is just about dead by 1984, isn't it? It's certainly the first uh, six or maybe ten months of the year. It really is scraping the bottom of the barrel, apart from a, a couple of interesting ideas that one or two of these films throw in very late into the piece. And then along comes a, salva- a, sav- a salvation, a saviour with a salvation. <laughs> mm-hmm. An individual... And a small but but growing offshoot of a production company that will make its name around one particular slasher villain, and everything looks rosy and wonderful and lovely again. So, just when you thought Fatal Games, thank <laughs> God for it. <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to write off the slasher, along comes a wonderful moment that I'm sure we will pull apart in great detail later in the episode. Along comes a Methodist seminarian from the Midwest. A lot of angst. Pent up angst. A lot of things. <laughs> yeah. A lot of childhood trauma. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, 1984. Yeah. Um, it's really like um, sort of this hinge point uh, for the purposes of our show. We're ending here. We're going to have an epilogue for our very next episode, which is going to be fun. Tune in for that. It's going to be wacky. It's going to be wild. You're going to want to check that out. But like the, the genre moving forward kind of coalesces into franchises. Uh, basically the big two and then Halloween's going to come back as a franchise. Sadly. Yep. Uh, they're going to try to franchise it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then uh, either that or to like horror comedy. Um, which is usually like the death knell of any particular genre. By the time you're sort of self-parodying, um, and more, you know, it's more about the jokes than it is about the horror or the fear. Um, that's kind of kind of means it's sort of the last run of whatever it is that you're doing. Kind of once you go meta, and so but we get a lot of that throughout the second half of the decade, um, and even the you know the nightmare movies will eventually go very humor, very Freddie becomes a very 
comedic figure, you know, in short order. And the Friday the 13th movies do the same. And so, you know, by the end of the decade, you know, when we get to like popcorn and stuff like that, we're, we're, we're pretty well into absolute meta territory. And I think if you look at 1984s, you know, just about halfway into this boom, you had to do something <laughs> like you, like murder mystery teens being picked off one by one and for various reasons in various settings police procedurals oh police procedurals with a bunch of cops <laughs> trying to figure out the crime <laughs> bunch of cops trying to figure out the crime um it just run its course right like it it the the original dna of the slasher had had kind of it had run its course by 1984 100 what about you Megan? yeah i agree with what both of you are saying um it's very clear that 1984 it was already, I would say it was already clear by 1983, but certainly by 1984, studios were just trying to cash in on the hype yep. and the buzz of slashers and how cheap and easy they were to make for the most part and not really caring about the craftsmanship or about the genre in and of itself, but just wanting to cash in. And I think that's why it's so... I mean, straight out of the gate, I love A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's an astounding Spoilers. film. I absolutely adore it. I know. I'm, I know. I come from a spoiler <laughs> podcast. What can I say? But I think what what is looking back on this year and seeing the other films that came out this year and looking at it contextually, it is kind of radical. Like, it's just so radical how revolutionary A Nightmare on Elm Street was. Like, in the fact that it takes so many of the elements of the genre and does different and innovative things with it. And so it is yep, very clear yep. that 1984 had run out of steam and it very much got the injection it needed with a nightmare on Elm street. And then of course there's a couple other slashers that come later that are kind of interesting. And then later we get another infusion with scream in 1996. So yeah. So it's interesting yeah. to see that. You know, it's really trajectory. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting about 84 for me is it's like we've gotten so far away from the whether you like it, don't like it, find it unconscionable, deplorable, or find it funny or entertaining, whatever. The the early years of the slasher as this these grindhouse movies that were very taboo and trying to make you uncomfortable and creating these greasy characters, like we've gotten away from that. We're not doing that anymore, really, so much. We're just kind of making these very, and, and there's, like you were kind of alluded to, Megan, there's like a lot of studio involvement now in these movies, or at least they're a bigger studios helping to distribute them because they want to cut of the money, the revenue. And so we're getting all of these kind of flattened out, kind of bland yes. slasher movies. Where it's like, well, there's some kills, but they're not, they're not really inventive. They're not necessarily totally bloody. Some of them are, but not really. And they're also not really sleazy. And, but they're like, there's, so it's like who it's like mainstreamed and all of the weird quirks of the genre have kind of been kind of, kind of yeah. pressed out of it to just get this sort of commercial. I don't know. I don't even know what you would call it. Just this, these bland commercialized films. Um, and yeah, obviously nightmare stands out. Uh, from there so <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> spoilers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know how big of a spoiler that is, but yes, it is a spoiler. <laughs> All right. Well, let's actually dive into the film since we've given an overview. So the first one, let's talk yep. about Rocktober Blood. One by one, he butchered their bodies to reach his final victim. The rock and roll star he adored. A madman with a message from hell. metal <laughs> the heavy metal slasher where a heavy metal musician comes back from the dead to kill people and with the heavy metal score or soundtrack rather and yeah rocktober blood rated r so let's dig in what did you guys think of this I'm about to bore Paul, who's barely awake as <laughs> it stands. In fairness to him, he has woken up beyond the crack of dawn, his time to be able to do this episode. So thank you, Paul. Um, You're very welcome. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, you too. Um, this, okay. The thing we have to understand about Rocktober Blood, I'm going to bore everybody but our listeners, so you guys can tune out, I guess, co-host, uh, <laughs> is... <laughs> Is it is a representation of this sub sub subgenre horror movie subgenre slasher subgenre the rock and roll horror movie or the rock and roll slasher, which is tapping into just the same way that rock and roll was tapping into the satanic panic to move albums and stir up controversy and da 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 horror movies that was a Venn diagram between the satanic panic horror movies. Pro wrestling and and hard rock, right? Heavy metal. You may not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm not afraid to speak out. I think that the music in hell for eternal will be some of this rock music with all its vulgarities and all of its sexual innuendos. And uh, here they were stripping themselves, the fella running around in a little uh, G-string. It reminds me of the wild man of Gadara in Mark chapter 5 who was possessed of a demon running around in the graveyard naked and cutting himself with stones and screaming demon possession and especially in the 80s and uh yeah and this right. this movie is representative of that the other fascinating thing about this movie is that it is a co-direction but primarily directed by a female director named beverly sebastian beverly and ferd yep. her husband ferd sebastian wrote and directed movies ferd usually primarily wrote them beverly usually primarily wrote them one time Beverly was known as the female Roger Corman because what she would do, and she was really kind of like a one of one at the time is that they would do a production completely on their own. They would finance it themselves. They would write it themselves. They would shoot it themselves. She was the cinematographer on all the movies. She was a director on the movies. They did the sound themselves. Their sons were in the movies. Wow. Um, but she could produce a movie on such a low budget and that would generate revenue thanks to grindhouse theaters and drive-ins, which is a whole realm of distribution that doesn't even exist anymore. That she ended up getting a, uh, a output deal through Paramount and they would distribute some of her movies. Um, and she actually ended up becoming, she had a job with Paramount as 
like a producer, but also as like a, they would give her scripts to read and be like, read these scripts and tell us whether or not you think this could be a hit movie. And so she was just like this independent filmmaker with her husband and family who ended up actually kind of having a, a pretty decent run and of simultaneously being kind of on the fringes of the mainstream Hollywood system for a major studio while also completely maintaining her independence. And she directed her, her probably her most famous movie is Gator bait, which came out in 74, which was actually a really big hit. And she wrote and directed that with fur. That was probably her biggest one. She did some like women in prison movies in the seventies and some other stuff like, so her filmography is, uh, I think her first film was called red, white and blue. Then she did the hitchhikers. Then she does single girls. Then she does Gator Bait in 74. That's that's a kind of her big break. 79, she's doing Delta Fox. Keep in mind, these are all self-financed. Uh, 79, she does another movie, On the Air Live with Captain Midnight. She does October Blood in 84. Gator Bait 2, Cajun Justice, which looks wild as shit, in 1988. American Angels wow. Baptism of Blood in 1989. In a motorcycle gang movie, which actually looks like, if you like Stone Cold with the Boz, it looks like it's in that universe. 1993's Running Cool. And most of those got theatrical releases, and a lot of them were for the budget hit movies. And so she was able to, she was a very profitable filmmaker. She retired from filmmaking to start a Greyhound Foundation in Florida yes! with her husband Ferd. And so when all of that like Greyhound racing was outlawed in Florida, she they mm-hmm. they run the National Greyhound Foundation. They are the main people behind that. Um, to this day. And she's, she is, it's one of those weird things where she was such a known entity in the independent exploitation film genre. And then I think because she kind of walked away from it 30 years ago, she's been forgotten a little bit. And so um, I don't think she should be forgotten because she was doing something that not a lot of people were doing. She figured out a way to be in the business in a way that, I don't even, I don't even think it's possible anymore, but on top of that, um, she did it as a woman, you know, and, and directed all of these bonkers movies. <laughs> so <laughs> good for her, Beverly, wherever you are. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, uh, is this movie any good? No, uh, October blood, but, <laughs> um, Having said all good that. for her. Yeah. I will say this. I think that Beverly Sebastian is the filmmaker that David Pryor wishes he was. Because oh, if you compare yes. Rocktober yes, Blood versus Sledgehammer, sure. right? David, David A. Pryor is trying to do kind of what she's doing. And Absolutely. she has talent. There, you can actually see there's some directorial, like, oh, she has some kind of ability here. Um, there's some interesting shots or some interesting camera movement. She's not an incompetent director. She's, I think a director who's very, very limited in what she has access to. And, and maybe Ferd wasn't the best writer, but <laughs> yeah, definitely <Maybe>. not. <laughs> I'm going to say definitely yeah. not. <laughs> Paul, what did you think of Rocktober blood? I actually thought the start was kind of solid. I didn't mind the, I think the music's actually not bad in this film either. It actually it? isn't. No, I like the yeah. music a lot. Actually, yeah. it actually so get that isn't. song right off the get out of the gate, yeah. and they're recording. Yeah, and you get a bit of the byplay, and yeah, the the singer is this arrogant dude, and he's 
is it Lynn from Vague Memory? The, the, Lynn, the yep. protagonist of the film. Yep. She, she's kind of like, where are you going? She, Lynn's also a terrible actor, whoever the person is playing her. Like she, her, L- she has Lynn a- rests pretty <laughs> easy knowing that she got her boyfriend wrongfully executed. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I don't want to spoil the movies, Paul, but like there's a there's an evil twin situation going on here. Yeah, and, well, that's ultimately the the answer to what is happening is that. Uh, but okay. when she finds yeah. out that she testified against the wrong brother, the innocent brother, the one she loved, and that the crazy brother has been left alive or whatever, and he's been publicly executed, she doesn't seem to have the reaction that she's responsible. <laughs> inadvertently for the death of an innocent man who loved her that would be asking too much of her (laughs) and maybe of this movie yes yeah in fact i i do love this miscarriage of justice where no one thought to ask well you have a twin brother right exactly exactly but the film doesn't reveal that at all never never drops that that the the context though is stupid but the context there was like nobody really knew he existed because he was like these are my songs and this is my music. And he took my, you know, he took what like, should have been mine. It's, it's just not but possible. But wouldn't he have known? And wouldn't he have said that in his like defense yes. trial? Now he would have known yes. he had an evil twin brother <laughs> yes. right, that he hid from the rest of the world. Correct. Has somebody yeah. not checked where my twin was? Because I was out, I was out, apparently he's, he would have had a rock solid alibi. He was out yeah. sleeping with some other woman, much to, to Lynn's chagrin. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, look, we're getting, getting into the, uh, the ridiculous plot can, of this particular oh, film. And okay, but hang, hang on a second, film. though. Can I just say, Paul, my favorite line of probably of the week? It's an exchange. It's not a line. It comes from this movie. And it's the cop. And the, it's, towards the beginning, the cop shows up and he says, Come here, you little fucker. You're you're arrested just like that. Like he's oh. trying <laughs> the actor's delivery. He's like you're 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 arrested. And Billy's response, he goes, "I'm gonna kill your ass." <laughs> he, then he chases the cop. The cop who has come to confront him ends up being chased by Billy. He's like, "I'm gonna kill your ass." And I I burst out in laughter. I thought it was the funniest fucking thing in the world. It was so funny. Then there's a two-year time jump. There's a two-year time jump. There is. But wait a minute. If we're talking about favorite lines, I cannot believe you didn't pick the line where after she gets screwed over, uh, I think it's Lynn. She says, I hope you catch every disease. No, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That was just great. Yes. I loved it. I okay. Loved it. But yes, to your time job. Here's the one. Here, <laughs> let me give this a little bit more praise because I know Paul's chomp of the bit with that grimace to trash it. Uh, just a, just a little bit more praise for this one. And here's the praise. Not executed well, but conceptually is a praise. There's so many like hack lantern and trick or treat and, uh, maybe Trick or Treat is the one I'm thinking of. What's the one with Ozzy Osbourne where he plays a televangelist and there's demons that are coming? The, the music is turning people into demons. There's Black Roses. There's oh, Rock and Roll Nightmare. There's Hard Rock Zombies. There's a whole list of these things in my head. This is this is why I can't think like a normal person anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they you all, they all ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> They all they all lean into rock and rolls of the devil, and so they literalize it where like the the lead singer of the rock and roll band is a demon, or their or the band are demons, or they're possessed, or people get possessed. And listen to me. And this, you think this is that type of movie because like the ghost of this rock star has come back and is 
seeking revenge and like maybe the music is evil blah 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 and i like the twist where it's it doesn't make any sense like we already said but i like the twist that there's no supernatural anything going on here yeah it's like the so it's it's like uh you could almost say it's like kind of playing against satanic panic a little bit right it's like nothing supernatural about this it's just a soap opera evil brother that's all it is yes yeah so i i like that element i like that element too i like conceptually what the rampage at the concert at the end probably was on the page because i do think that is kind of interesting but the way it is executed like the idea of all these people show up for an alice cooper level show where guillotines are falling and people are getting their heads cut off but but it's real but the audience doesn't know that it's real at first. Right. It's real. That's yeah. fucking cool. But they 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 shit the bed on execution. So, right. oh, conceptually, it is really yeah. cool. And considering how claustrophobic a concert, yeah, is, especially one like that, and especially if you have like mosh pits and you know shit like that, like yeah, like that can do some damage. So, in addition to what's happening on stage, what could happen in the crowd? I agree, it's a great concept. I just would have liked to have seen it done. Yeah, yeah, well. with more but, than like fifteen yeah. people at like a VFW in in yeah. Florida. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A VFW. They yeah. tried. Oh, I want to hear. But it just. They yeah, did. They tried. Yeah, yeah. No, but Paul, I want to hear more about what you have to say about this movie. Oh, look, I think you're tapping into the main points. This this film is basically the spiritual sequel to Visiting Hours. It is gaslighting oh the movie part two. Oh my god! Oh, 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 my point oh, is, it's an inferior why are we sequel. Why, it's an inferior why are sequel. to Visiting Hours? Because <laughs> he, he hated it. He hated Visiting Hours. I hated it. I didn't like it as much as you two. But I, I certainly appreciate it more after watching this movie because. <laughs> Lynn, well, I should have looked up her name. I'm not going to bother. Lynn is so bad in this film, trying to convince everyone that there's that the spirit of Billy is is haunting she, her, and everyone's she's like, real bad. That's correct, babe. Come on, so okay. yeah, bad acting. And then when her friends conveniently all start disappearing, and like, oh yeah, she said she's going back to town. We never see her again, and no one says, hey, you know that friend of yours? That that's a bit of a worry that she has actually disappeared. And we can't find her. You can't think about the plot in this movie. Therefore, you have to come down to the style and to the the skill or lack thereof in which it's put together and the kills are other than at the very start when he impales whoever it is on the on the peg sticking out of the wall which was a pretty good kill i think for, yeah, for this yeah. film they're all very lame kill. the kills are lame the acting's bad except by billy i think billy is really chewing up the scenery in a, in a way which is at least entertaining and i did have a, quite a few laughs like you say some of his line deliveries i'm gonna that, that actor's clearly, yeah <laughs> that, that actor's clearly having good fun in the role I wish I could work out Lynn's relationship with the band manager who also plays in the band, does he? And, and I think he actually is one of the yes. musicians who worked on the film. Yes, he yeah. is. Very yes. strange the way he they, they react and, and the like to each other. Yeah. And then as you say, she's not she's moved on, not just moved on from Billy, she's jumped into his shoes, is and everyone's okay with that. Can you just imagine a backup singer taking over in a in a in a rock band and the furor that would have been caused by this, and yet the fans are turning out <laughs> on mass to watch this concert because when I say on mass I do mean the 15 people so yeah yay yeah. yay for them uh <laughs> at that final scene when he is walking across the stage and killing the backup dancers I'm just like what is this this is so poorly put together I was r- almost rolling on the floor with laughter at how stupid it was and even how, even the very final that is Billy that's something though the fact that it engendered an actual human response out of you is <laughs> something. Oh. 
Right? How many of these movies are playing for laughs? No, but how many of these movies have you or I or any of us sat through stone faced? And they just happen. Well, in your case, Jason, none, because you've been you've been delighting at the pain and horror that would just bestow <laughs> upon Megan and I. But but yeah, then the there's a movie like many. this that comes around, and I, I don't know. I think maybe you could put this this into the category of maybe it's not one of the great ones, but kind of a B minus tier, so bad it's good movie. There's certainly some it's elements of so bad it's good. It's definitely riding the camp wave like it's definitely dancing with camp yep. so which makes it for me slightly more interesting. i'm less concerned like that the how, fa- how the killer through his voice to be spooky and, and echoing <laughs> everywhere through the hill the rolling hills <laughs> of wherever the hell they were shooting or, or going to do that, that yeah retreat that's a great question he's a rock and roll singer, i'm done baby. we never find that out projected this film sucks <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> he wrote those songs jason he wasn't even a singer until the end it's true. And, and yeah, he was such he, a yeah, talent. True. No one knew he existed. But anyway, it's true. Yeah, it does stink, but it's fun. Uh, I, <laughs> I also appreciate the fact though that they didn't try to sell us on the idea that this band was a world famous rock and roll band. They were no. selling us the idea that they were sort of locally famous, regionally famous, like you know, like they were on the come up. Like they had some local albums, they had some sales, they'd done some tours, and. I, that there's so many of these bad movies and they're usually vanity projects, but and this one isn't that, but there's so many of these movies where it's like the world famous, blah, 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 blah. There's like no scale to it. So it doesn't make any sense. So at least they had this third, had this common sense to yes. be like, this is a band on the come up. that has been had local popularity and success and they're trying to gain larger international traction. So I, I you gotta look, for, you, you gotta see the good, at, in the bad, in the bad, in the good, Paul. You, you got to mine the diamond. What, what? What? Sorry, you got to mine the tin in that rock. That's fair enough. The tin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no quartz in there, yeah, but there's I, some tin. Go ahead, Megan. <laughs> I I agree with you, Jason, on that front because as someone who spent many many moons at local rock band and heavy metal shows, like in houses. And like seeing mosh pits in someone's house. This is you? Is you, you do this? Yeah. I did. I don't anymore. I did in, a lo- in another lifetime. Megan. Um, <laughs> There's an onion that every time, every episode, a new layer comes off. Whoa. Yeah. 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 I've been kicked in the head in a mosh pit. Anyway, it, it, like it's a whole thing. Wow. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but having gone to those shows, like lo- having gone to big shows, like nationally known bands, as well as going to local small shows, it definitely gets that vibe right. Yeah. And so I, I, I do appreciate that. And, and, you know, I thinking about the authenticity of this film, it gets the music right. Like having an actual mm. metal band, it's I decent. think lends yeah. some credence yep. to it. Yeah. Yep. And it makes me, cause I was like, I was so ready for this like shitty yes. hacky music. And I'm like, this isn't going to be fucking metal. This is going to just be stupid. And I'm listening. I'm like, actually this is catchy and kind of good. Like for the yep. time period, like I'm like, I actually am digging this. So I really like that about the film. I like that it lends that authenticity. Uh, my problem is that everything else is so badly done, like the acting <laughs> yeah, and a yeah. lot of the writing, although some of the lines are kind of wild. Like there's another line <laughs> where Billy is talking about, I want your pussy blood all over my face. <laughs> like as he's like threatening, like, 
what the fuck? Like, there's some like wild <laughs> lines of dialogue. And kind of leading into that, one of my issues with the film is, I mean, first of all, there's so much nudity. Like, Lynn is naked, yeah, like, all yeah. the time. Like, why is she constantly in the hot tub? But, like, you know, act. and again, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and, you know, you, you can argue that that's a staple of, you know, slashers. But one of the things that I'm like, why is this edited this way was when Lynn is, like, screaming bloody murder when she's, like, terrified. And then it cuts to a extreme close-up of a woman's body doing aerobics. Yes. Like, what are we doing? Like, it's just, it's a strange, strange choice. It's a badly so edited film, very, yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's so technical there's some technical uh lack of skill here in some of the elements, which made me have issues with it. <laughs> but I am here for the melodrama of an evil twin. I love a good soap opera and I love the music. <laughs> so there yeah. is that. I'm I'm here for rainbow eyes. Yeah, I was. I was. Oh, I was gonna ask what kind of what go. kind of eyes to you guys to see if you remembered rainbow, rainbow eyes. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that was in my nose. Like, what kind right. of eyes? I don't, yeah, see if you remembered it, Paul. Just drop it in. Uh, I would say that nude, it, the Paul. the gratuitous nudity is a staple of Beverly Sebastian's filmmaking. So, sure. Not. Yeah, I, I figured, I figured. But I do think, I actually, I love that you talked about her career, Jason, because I think it's really interesting because for such a long time there was, and still is in many ways, a dearth of women directors in film in general, but yep. especially in the horror genre. Yep. And I think it's interesting that every mm. every film that we've talked about that's directed by a woman has had something to do with Roger Corman. And so I think that that's really, really interesting mm. that he was he was enabling women directors yeah. when other producer studios were not doing that and Is Roger Corman the doors on a producer on this film was he no no but um mm -hmm. she was at one time labeled the female yes. Roger Corman no I think right. didn't she work I think with she did too? work with him early earlier okay. earlier yeah. yeah but not by this point at this point yeah. she's on her own with right no 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 working. I should have clarified yeah, yeah, that yeah yep Yep. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I think what's really interesting too, though, about that is that like, and maybe Rocktober blood isn't the best example. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think we've noted too, cause there's like at least seemingly about one movie a year that we've covered that does have a female director or some kind of heavy female influence, right. Or something. And, um, it's interesting that they don't get as lauded in even among exploitation fans as other shitty directors i'm not here to say beverly sebastian is wes craven but i'm saying beverly sebastian is his is better than david Pryor. david a Pryor. yes oh god and, yes and a sh shit ton of people know david a Pryor's movies within the yeah z grade world and right, right how many people are right. talking or doing podcasts about beverly sebastian not as many that's probably no that's, one that's, right that's, i don't want to say no one because yeah, somebody might be. yeah but very less than david Pryor. so that's odd to me but i think we understand the reason for that so we could probably move on to a movie yes yeah i just i feel like i got struck in the head with a a, a boulder or something or a log <laughs> a javelin <laughs> javelin yes you got nice ball nice Yes, which leads us perfect. That's a perfect segue to talk about our next film, Fatal Games. In sports, winning is everything. 
but at the Falcon Academy, death is the first prize. The killing touch. You win, you die. Which is basically a murder film about a bunch of Olympic uh, athletes, hopefuls, that are high school athletes. And somebody is running around murdering them with a javelin. So, yes, that is this movie. Uh, Paul, why don't you take it away and tell us what you think of Fatal Games? Look, I think what you get is what you've just described there, Megan. It's a bunch of really bad actors trying out for (laughs) the Olympics and slowly being picked off one by one while the the coaching staff slash team defend the fact that their athletes keep disappearing in bizarre fashion and finding increasingly bizarre ways of doing it. And the film sets up that one of these coaches is the killer. And then when the reveal comes, there's a whole lot of head scratching, like, why did we need to go in this direction? What purpose did this achieve? And I'll I'll hold back on the reveal of what actually took place because I'd love to hear, Megan, your view of this in light of an earlier film that we had some very strong discussions around uh, from a couple of years yes. back, I believe. But uh, look, yes. a, the first kill, I'll, I'll give the, the vague credit that I can for this film. The first kill where a javelin goes thrusting through one of these Olympic hopefuls <laughs> after being thrown from a long way away, I thought, wow, that was pretty good. What I didn't realize is the film was going to not just double and triple down, but quintuple down on that being the method of killing someone. It doesn't have any other gimmick up its sleeve. It's just the same thing over and over when this particularly talented person with a javelin who can throw it from anywhere, including around corners, and manage to spear people <laughs> through like their chest missile. cavity. Like a, it's like a guided like a missile in missile. this film. It really is. Uh, that's the only sort of if you will, unintentional uh, amusement I got out of this movie. It adds the soap opera element of the the guy and the girl who he's totally in love with her and she's sort of, oh, playing hard to get. And then uh, it does a strange thing where it sort of opens on two other athletes and sort of sets them up to be the main characters then quickly decides, nah, they're not as interesting as these other two and gradually shifts to sort of following their story whilst the coaches are all in the background being set up as the either killer or the red herrings that they might be the killer. So it's mm-hmm. pretty standard. It's not the worst of the week by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not very good. And it probably represents exactly where the slasher is by 1984. <laughs> yeah, I, this is an interesting film um, because <laughs> of the, the, the twist ending, which I can't wait to talk about in a moment. Um, but yeah, this movie, I, I wrote in my notes nine minutes in. We were nine minutes in and I was already so bored. <laughs> and this was so tedious. I'm like, oh, this does not bode well. You mean training montages already... for Olympic hopefuls is <laughs> not as entertaining as it was for me? No, no. Listen, the only time I like a training montage is Rocky Four, Rocky. where it goes from one <laughs> montage into another montage. Are you suggesting there's that no other good montages? Fantastic. Right, there's been some crazy things said on this show. <laughs> Have you ever I've seen, seen Jim me, Carter? That is. No, you ever seen no. Jim Carter? I'm just saying I'm saying that's my favorite sports okay. montage. Right, that's it. That's it. I'm not saying there's not other good ones. I'm saying, <laughs> but as a general rule, I'm not a huge fan of montages. I think they can be lazy and overused. And in this film they are they're very lazy very overused and this is a very tedious film i didn't care about any of the characters i didn't care about the relationships i didn't care about the doctor who's pushing hormones on the kids and you know to boost their efficacy and their their athleticism i'm like that could have been interesting but not in this film this film is not interested in that yeah so this also has 
so it's bad acting, badly written, bad, yep. bad audio quality, like yep. such bad quality. And, you know, I know when a film is low budge, you got to arguably cut it some slack, but it's just really bad. And there was nothing else good here or memorable in this film. However, let's talk about that twist. So spoiler hold on, hold on, alert. Before you get there, one film. other thing I want to do. Oh, sorry. yes. Sorry to interrupt you, Megan. You made a really no, good no, point no, there no, that it touches fine. on this doping side. What this film yes. tries to do, yes, and does. I think this is the first example of it, and I wonder if this is why Jason chose this particular one for this week's Blood Pool, is it's trying very hard to be a sports drama slasher. It's touching yes. on all these things that around sort of elite athletes deal with, and it doesn't do any of them well at all, but it name almost <laughs> name checks them. So doping, check. Yes. Obsession to be the best, check being driven too hard by coaches to the detriment of the health of the athlete. Check. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of going, we know all these things exist even in 1984 and I'm sure over the, the subsequent 29 years have not gotten any better, if, if anything probably worse, depending on what sport you're in and where you're coming from. So it's, it's got, I get where the pedigree is and what it's trying to do here and in a better film, this could have been actually something, but because, as you just mm-hmm. said, the technical aspects of the film are also badly handled and 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 juggled it never amounts to anything and it never becomes interesting and instead it's just can we just get to who the reveal is of the killer please because it's one of these three people and i'm so bored now please end the pain <laughs> i just like to say two things very quickly paul you're you're correct that's that's why it made the list yay and two i i i prefer to pronounce it montage <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so it's, there are montages sure <laughs> proceed well before we (laughs) thank you before we do the reveal i also want to say and this ties in because to the reveal there are a lot of queer undertones in this film and there's a queer couple in the film that we see two women holding hands there's also some really creepy relationships between coaches and students wildly inappropriate and statutory rape like yeah very gross but that, le- but I'm watching this and I was like, oh, because it's funny. I was thinking, I was like, oh, did Jason choose this because this is so queer friendly? Like, oh, isn't that interesting? And when I was thinking about it being queer friendly, we then get that reveal. And I was like, no, this is not queer friendly mm. at all. Because the reveal is that the killer is Diane, the coach, the, the women's coach. And uh, she has become a woman specifically she's not a trans woman but she has become a woman specifically so she could compete to win and to win joe rogan's worst nightmare come to life she she explicitly (laughs) says that and it's like and i'm like oh my god and yes we i had issues with sleepaway camp and we will talk more about sleepaway camp in the epilogue because i have more thoughts and and whatnot so i don't want to get too much into sleepaway camp now but i had issues i i liked a lot of sleepaway camp but i also had had issues with it especially the very final reveal but at least angela is a sympathetic character she you know it's not it even though it has transphobic issues it's also you could argue it's pro-trans you know people so this is just gross like this is these are the arguments i have heard from 
idiots who think, oh, we shouldn't have trans women in sports because they're just doing this so they can win. And it, which is just the most absurd thing ever. And it's so transphobic and it's not feminist. And you think you're supporting women's sports. Spoiler alert, you're not. And there's just, there's so many problems with that argument. And then here we go with this film that's like, oh, here's not a trans woman who's, you know, angry at a transphobic society or anything. No, no, no. She's just killing students because she's pissed off she didn't win because she became a woman so she could win. Oh my God. It's so awful. And it made me yep. enraged. I figured it might. And I couldn't see any, any side here where the trans community could go, oh, well, this is, there's nothing but as you say, preying on the worst fears. of, and I'm, I'm right. shocked, to be honest, that in 1984, this was even a thing. But I guess if it's coming on yeah. the heels of Sleepaway Camp, maybe that explains it. So, yeah, it was very, yeah. very strange, very bizarre. And again, it's just trying to double down this point of what people will do, the lengths they'll go to to win, not just murder people, but you know, transition genders. <gasps> like, it's so bad. I know. Oh, it's so gross. It's so bad. It's so bad. <laughs> Jason, did you have any thought? Thank you. Yeah, the murder movie that I want that has Olympic hopefuls in it, it'd have to be more than one sport. I want it to take place during the Olympic in the Olympic Village because there's all kind of stuff that Ooh. goes on in the oh, Olympic yeah. Village, right? So now you're talking. Now, murder, now, yeah. you, now your slasher movie can have <laughs> gratuitous nudity and sex because it's actually contextual. And... Mm-hmm. um. I want somebody to put baby oil on the pole vault or the, the horse thingy <laughs> so that somebody cracks their neck and breaks their neck. I want like Rube Goldberg sabotage at different events. Now, yes. Somebody's doing the shot yes. put and the, the shot put is actually a bomb and they spin around and the, bam, they explode ooh, and their whole the body diabolical decathlon. Yes, go. yes. Jason, Jason, you need to make this movie. This is amazing. <laughs> That's they probably amazing. should have put that out there, that right? <laughs> Maybe we'll edit that out. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, keep that keep that for myself. But Copyright. I have a yes, confession. Yes. My confession <laughs> is, I watched this movie the earliest because Paul was like, "I can't find it," and I helped Paul fight. I was like, "Here you go," and Thank I watched you. it so long ago. And this movie is so bad. I remember <laughs> nothing. I was only remembering as you guys started to talk about it. And then, like, from the fog of my memory banks, things would start sparking back. I, I This movie is so bad, I even forgot the twist ending. I totally forgot. <laughs> that is bad. That I is bad. I totally <laughs> forgot that whole, just, everything about this movie was instantly erased from my mind. And if you've been listening to the slashers and have heard me talk about all the movies in painstaking detail, that that these two and certainly Paul have hated because Megan has supported me on some of them. Uh, I have most of them. <laughs> then you then you know how bad this movie has to be. I find nothing in this movie. Yes, nothing. Nothing. May God have mercy on all their souls. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. That's, it. that's my review. There's nothing re- nothing worthwhile at all. It's not even funny. Because no. the idea of a javelin no. throwing slasher is kind of funny. But the movie's not. It's amazing. Yeah, it's so goofy. It should yes. it, it, it should be oh. a so bad it's good movie. And it's just not. It's just agreed. Uh, again, bland, boring. The bland, moment, yes. The moment that I laughed the hardest bland. though, because once again, there's a couple of unintentional laughs in this movie, is when one of the athletes gets killed with a spear, which the spear the javelin, which suddenly goes through. And then we 
I can't even say he or she, to be honest. And then there's a shot of where the javelin throw was. And it's this top of the bleachers <laughs> standing <laughs> somewhere in the, for the context of the camera shot. I have to I have to assume it's about 150 metres away. And I'm like, well, this person's going to win the Olympics, no doubt. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. You know, speaking of ridiculous, uh, I think the the most ridiculous scene to me is the woman who is swimming at night, and she doesn't see the killer in the pool, oh, like God. two feet away uh. from her. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? She would notice that there's like water displacement. Like she would feel it. She would see mm-hmm. it. Like something. No, doesn't at all. So can yeah, I tell you what the better twist started. would have been instead of it being a gender twist? Sure, well, please. That would have been com- contemporaneously right on the money. It's revealed that the woman, the 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 woman's Olympic hopeful coach or whatever, is actually she's secretly no, she's secretly a Russian. Yes, I was thinking the same thing. Honestly, <laughs> but when you said that, like, well, it's because it's Russia. It, she has ingratiated herself on behalf of Russia into the U.S. Olympic hopeful core group. To take out an entire generation of whatever. And yeah. Yeah. And the the doping, she's like messing with her body chemistry. And she's like, it's all Cold War sabotage. And then at the end, she could have been like, had like that affected Russian, like, you know, down with with America, you know, all this sort of stuff. Like, it would have played like gangbusters in 1984. Would have been a lot less offensive. It would have. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes, it would have. Yes, Because the Russians had been barred right around this time from competing in the Olympics due to doping. And to your point, Megan, that's the whole Rocky IV plot is Ivan is doping. Yes. Exactly. It would have been politically topical, current events. It would not have been offensive to, you know, trans people. Like, yeah, let's. Yeah. And we can look back on it and go, look that. at this silly, you know, movie. Ha ha ha. But instead, <laughs> and I don't right, even remember right. it. <laughs> no. And yeah. nobody should remember yeah. it. <laughs> and in your film, Jason, it can be the Chinese athlete because current tensions. Oh, wow. Well, see, now you can't do that. You can't be xenophobic. We can now because China's the bad guys. Yeah. Uh, I need to sell my as movie in China. As... No, no, no. I need to sell the movie oh, in no. China. Oh, in that case, so, the Chinese yeah. athlete is a hero. That's right. You'll need, you'll need a side You'll need, I need a, side a Chinese character. pop star and a Chinese pop star yep. who's you'll in the movie to save the day. Who, who pops yes. up, has three conversations, gets involved <laughs> yeah. in the climax, only yeah. to get brushed aside, but not die. Yes, but then pop right. up at the end and sing and sing a song. There you and go. You know, you know what the one oh, the one main line the one main line they have is the moon is helping us. The moon is helping us. One of the worst lines of any movie ever made. The moon is helping us. I don't even know what film that's from. As it's careening into the earth. The moon itself. Moonfall. Moonfall is crashing into the earth. And she goes, the moon is helping us. And she lifts an entire forest off of the guy. Oh gosh! <laughs> I thought you were talking about Independence Day Returns, but anyway, okay. Uh, no, same difference. <laughs> okay, I think- let's move on. I think you <laughs> can tell. I think you can tell that a movie is not good when we have completely veered to talk yes, about yes. a whole bunch of other movies. If only yes. this was the worst of the week. Oh my god! 
Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about our next film, Splatter University. <laughs> First, you were frightened by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Then you were terrorized by Halloween. And now, prepare to be pulverized, traumatized, and hospitalized by... <laughs> Splatter U. About a patient who has escaped. Jason can't even <laughs> contain himself. Um, a patient who's escaped a psychiatric hospital or a psychiatric ward and stabs a doctor in the dick yes. and then steals his clothes yes. and runs away. And then we jump ahead a couple years and then we go to a school where it, there's a new teacher and she has insubordinate students. And yeah, there's somebody running around murdering teachers, mostly women, uh, students and teachers. Yep. So, At yeah. a Catholic, uh, Catholic <laughs> college or Catholic high school. Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. Would it surprise yes. you that this and movie would... was shot in 1981? Yeah, no, I knew that. Yeah, but it yes. wasn't feature link. They had to film more scenes. Reshot right. in 82 to get to feature link. Yes. And not released until 84. <laughs> Because it took them yes. two years to edit it together. No, because they couldn't find anybody to distribute it. Nobody wanted to distribute it. Shock horror. Yeah. Even really. through <laughs> the peak of the slasher boom, Death Screams, uh, The Island Island of Blood, uh, yep. all these other movies that we've covered, Midnight, they all found distribution. This movie didn't find distribution until... Three, two, two to three years after it started. Isn't that amazing? Just sat. <laughs> I think it speaks volumes, actually. And eventually it was distributed by Troma. Yes, that's correct. Yep. Um, okay. I have thoughts about Splatter University. Please take it away. Um, the long, the, the very most Long Island sounding girl who was in this movie, the one who has the thick, thick accent, her name is Forbes Riley. She is ac actually a semi-famous boomer influencer. Huh. Like she's, a, All right. she's an older person, but she motivational speaker. She speaks at conferences. She's got millions of followers on Instagram, social media, whatever, whatever. Um, because the name stuck out to me. I was like, Forbes Riley, Forbes Riley. And some algorithm at some point in my life spit that woman out at me. And I, that's, that's just a little aside. Um, <laughs> the idea of she looked familiar to me. So yeah. I wonder if that's why, but not, not that I'm listening to boomer. Or motivational <laughs> well, me speakers, either, but, but you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> the idea that uh, like, okay, premarital sex and abortion and all these ideas that are in here, yes. education versus religion, like the tension between how much do we educate these students versus how much do we, uh, uh, catechize these students or indoctrinate depending on your mm -hmm. perspective all those ideas are in there they eventually sort of disappear and um the teen drama of it all feels like three episodes of sweet valley high put together oh god um, so bad <laughs> so bad. There with no context i loved i loved sweet valley high for the yeah year, but <laughs> i pitched on twitter years ago that there should be a Sweet Valley High reboot, but it should be a slasher. I agree with that. Yeah. And uh, that's maybe my one of my more popular tweets. 
but uh uh or x's or posts where they are now um this thing gets so convoluted and just kind of loses its own thread for a long time that by the time it like circles back around to the chase sequence that we get and the putting the pieces of the puzzle together, which isn't very much of a puzzle because the moment the guy is in the wheelchair and his <laughs> legs are twitching, he's like, oh, just a bit of a spasm. Oh, you, you know. know he's the killer. You immediately know. And, and, so yes. this is a this yes. is a movie that's like uh, it's, I don't even want to put this. It's it it's it it it, it is I don't want to say it squanders because there's not much here, but the one thing this movie could have <laughs> potentially had going for it, it kind of fucks up that the, that the head superintendent of a Catholic school, a priest who oversees a Catholic school is a secret psychotic murderer who believes he's doing the will of God. But he, but the twist is he's not a priest at all. He's just a lunatic. No. That is, is something you could have made a motion picture out of that that would have been fun and oh my god shocking and goofy or something and man it just doesn't happen the one thing this movie has going for it is that kill of the first teacher through the chest with the knife i thought was impressive with the blood gushing out of the chest i thought it was really effective uh everything else is just like teens and Dirty apartments arguing about who's going to pay for whose abortion. I was like, oh my God, I don't care. So that's my thought on Splatter University. One good kill. Since you brought up the abortion. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> Sorry, you, you finish up. You said one good kill. One good kill and one good idea, which is a, a psychopath impersonating a priest, someone who's delusional and really thinks they're this priest. Now, of course, Paul's going to say that doesn't make any sense because he would have needed papers from the diocese to like, how did he ingratiate himself and get an official position from a very well organized institution, whatever you may think about it, that definitely requires vetting from a, yeah. are you ordained yeah. perspective? <laughs> Who yeah, is this priest? Correct. What Bishop sent him? What diocese Pretty is he simple. from? Yeah, you can't just throw in a collar and start like running a Catholic school. Yeah, you go to <laughs> is this guy a real no. priest dot com and make sure. <laughs> yeah. That's how you So it doesn't make everyone. sense that he ever would have got into that position. No. Um, Which the but, film calls out. The film actually lulls it itself. It does. And says, and yes, says like, can you believe they didn't that. check their own rec Yeah, so at least yeah, it, that's it puts true. a that's true. lamp yeah. shade on it. Yeah. Yes. Expression is. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, Paul, what did you think of Splatter Universe? Oh, this film sucks. This film is so bad. <laughs> now that you tell me that it sort of had about 60 or 65 minutes shot and then they had to go back and do reshoots and added that whole bit at the start. So the film would have made even less sense in the original version where they didn't even give you the prologue to give you the hint that someone's escaped from a mental institution and has, you know, taken up residence within the, the, the hallowed halls of this school. But regardless of that, yeah, I think the the lead is probably the only person. So that's that's Forbes Riley. Is that what you said her name was? Yeah. Well, no, she's the she's not the lead. She's the um, oh, she's not the lead. Okay. No, Sorry, in that case. she's the one girlfriend. Oh, the the the, the friend. Who she's the one with the very strong Long Island accent. Yeah. Yeah. That that doesn't make much sense to me as the, okay as a token international host on the show. Wait, I thought she was because. Wait, wait, wait. Julie is the lead. That's the teacher. That's who she is. 
Yeah, that's what it yeah, says. Yeah, Forbes here. Riley as Francine Forbes as Julie Parker, and Julie is the teacher. Okay, sure. <laughs> I'm sure you're right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. How much Jason cares about this movie just got revealed right there. <laughs> uh, look, yeah, it's, it's so bad. Oh my god, I just, hated. The- I'm sorry to cut you off. I know where I know her from. I know where I know her where? from. Yes. Uh, yes. Megiddo. The Omega Code 2, a Christian exploitation movie that is a complete ripoff of The Omen 3. Oh, my God. She's in that movie. Go ahead. Wow. Wow. Dots joined. Dots joined. Sorry. I hated the cutaways to these groups of students who have no personality beyond being awful. You know. The, so the, boring. The, the sex craze guy, the jock, the the stoner, the asshole guy in class, the girl who doesn't know. I, it's so thinly sketched in and it's just, I have to imagine they're all the interstitial cuts that were shot later to pad it out because I just don't belong in this film. It should have been about the faculty. And yes, we have to yes. kill off some students because because we need a body count, I guess. But even then, it's it's just so ineffectual and the kills are lame. I can't even give credit to the one that you said Jason, because I found this one on YouTube as I did quite a few of these films through, because no one cares. No yeah. one cares it's there in its entirety, except the copy I found wasn't in its entirety. It was some weird edited version where they would put blurred parts of it all in any kill or death or murder. Oh, so I watched it and suddenly it's Jeez. blurred. I'm like, oh my God, what a, it was too late to find something else. And I downloaded it because you know, YouTube Premium onto my device when I was traveling through your fine country. And I watched it one night while I was just going, Ugh. What are the choices I've made in my life? What has Jason done to me yet again? <laughs> so you didn't even get to enjoy the gore. No. Oh, that's yeah, so that, that really sucks. You can imagine. That really sucks. Holy that's, shit. This film. That's all this has going for it. The one other thing it has going for it, which you're going to laugh at me for giving it credit for, but at least the film has the bones to kill its protagonist, which I was genuinely that surprised That was by. fucking I agree. wild. That was surprising. Yes. That was surprising. Yeah. I was not expecting that. I thought there was going to be some kind of twist and it wasn't hers, like some kind of like delusion or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. That was surprising. That was so that what, I, what I was... Slightly. Yeah, that's what I was getting at with like the chase sequence at the end, like through the halls and he's like, Coming down the mm-hmm. hallway and, and then with that, the whole elevator bit and all that. I thought, okay, that's. And then, yeah, when she dies and the, the guy's too late. It's like, mm-hmm. again, uh, uh, somebody posing as a trusted uh, religious authority figure who is absolutely bonkers and is, is, is a complete fraud. And, but it's delusional. So they believe that they really are this messenger of God or whatever. And like, there's, there's something here that could have made a. a and the yeah, the willingness to kill the protagonist, which we hardly ever see. Um, right. Yeah, there's there's it could have been something, but it it just isn't. It it really isn't. So no, it's not. Did you have any other Megan? Did you have any different view? Did you find something in more of the tin <laughs> in the rough? No. No, no, not at all. This was terrible. But what I will say, (laughs) I was, Jason, you mentioned the abortion uh, subplot, and I was very excited. I'm always excited for abortion depictions on screen because, no, I am, seriously, because especially in the 80s, abortion was not really depicted. And even nowadays, there's a lot of inaccurate depictions of abortion and depictions demonizing it and making it scary. And it's a routine medical procedure. And so when 
the student is talking about being pregnant and um, Julie, the teacher, is like, well, if you need money, you know, for this. And they're alluding to abortion. I was like, wow, this is kind of progressive. Like, this is kind of cool. I was very excited. And then the student gets killed off. And I'm like, oh, well, she's punished for it. So like this. Is, so even something that was mildly progressive then is kind of ripped away. So I guess I can applaud it for at least broaching the topic. But yeah, that was annoying. The other thing that I did find kind of hilarious and kind of like a cheeky moment was when the students are going to the drive-in movie and one of the guys is driving and he says to the like ticket taker, he's like, nobody's here. Is this movie any good? And the the person's like, yeah, it is good. And he's like, well, why is no one here? And then the woman giving him a blowjob pops her head up, <laughs> wipes her mouth and says, that's because people suck. And I was like, <laughs> oh, suck. And she's sucking the blowjob. Anyway, I was like, okay, that's a little cheeky. But yeah, I was like, that was mildly, mildly amusing, I guess. It's almost clever. <laughs> Almost. By, it's not by these film standards, not yeah, going sure. <laughs> right, right, exactly. I mean, there's so much trash here that I'm like, okay, I'll give a little bit of something to that. Almost, not quite. <laughs> but that's it. The rest, no, I found it very, very tedious, very boring. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on. <laughs> let's move on to our next film. Oh boy, Day of the Reaper, about a masked killer who is terrorizing women in Gainesville, Florida. And it's shot on eight millimeter. And and it looks it. <laughs> yes. Now it's not only shot at eight millimeter, it was shot for a thousand dollars in nineteen eighty four money mm-hmm. by a fifteen year old. Yeah, that's impressive. That makes more sense. With Kyle Edward Ball the director of Skinnamarink has proven is that he's capable of directing a movie that Tim Ritter could have directed in 1984 at 15 years old. Oh, I, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely I, not. I think, I think this is, this is Skinnamarink <laughs> all over again, but kind of more charming because it's a bunch of kids. You're essentially watching home videos of kids in their backyard shooting a movie. And the line that got me is once we get once we get from the slasher part of it into the confrontation of ultimate evil between <laughs> God's warrior Argento, which if you obviously that's a very obvious reference, who is both a sadistic murderer and the savior of humanity. So maybe this maybe mm-hmm. young Tim Ritter's slightly overvalued Dario Argento. <laughs> He's making him a psychotic Christ-like figure. Um, but the line that got me is when the, the fucking, the guy is just another kid with basically a paper mustache. <laughs> when he goes, what we're dealing with here, with here is a complex psychological situation. <laughs> I am 90 minutes into this, this child's fever dream that is just absolutely horrendously awkwardly everything and then (laughs) there's nothing complex about this movie because it is a 15 year old's bizarro fan fiction and for this character to so ludicrous that looks so ludicrous on my screen to say what we're dealing with here it's a complex psychological situation. 
And that is the thesis statement for the entire movie. I fucking died. I died. And the whole last 10 minutes of this, this confrontation between these two forces, when it's just two kids with like ketchup on their shirts and one's got a sack over his head and they're fighting. And it, it was like, this is insane. And the fact that there is a digital remastered version of this, <laughs> there's available. There is a Blu-ray of this that is available. There's not, even, there's not even a Blu-ray of the Hitcher. And there's a Blu-ray of Ugh. Day of the Reaper. The, the Abyss. The, the Abyss. The Abyss. The Hitcher is finally going to 4K. You can't get the, the Abyss. The Abyss is finally in to 4K. <laughs> but there's a, there is a HD remaster of Day of the Reaper. Good That's for wild. this fucking kid, man. Good for this kid. So yeah, that's all I have sure. to say about it. All right, Paul, you're up. I I like the fact that you've managed to salvage something. In fact, you've <laughs> gotten onto the very and only thing that redeemed this film in my eyes, the final 20 minutes or so. Yeah. You yeah. said 90 minutes in. It's actually only 74 minutes long. That's true. Off mic, you were talking about. That's <laughs> true. true. We were talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. And, you know, I was suggesting it was way too long. You two were laughing at me. This film, pound for pound, feels about twice as long as Killers of the Flower Moon. I have <laughs> never in my life Agreed. seen such a long 74-minute film. It is so horrendously bad. And the fact, I, I did know I was a teenager. I didn't realize he was 15. I did know it was made for $1,000. I hadn't done the calculations on what that means in, in today's dollars. But <laughs> there were so many moments I just went, the fuck? Like, they didn't bother with sinking in sound i didn't bother with you know things like you know comprehensively understandable editing that is through everything up there on the screen and padded it out there's one sequence that's like two minutes of driving in the rain just because like I don't, I don't know what the hell was that was trying to convey but the the lead actress in this film with, with her narration which i thought was the worst voiceover narration i'd ever heard in the history of oh my god of cinema slash film until the cop actor comes in yes. the cop actor is <laughs> Hands down, yeah, 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 the yeah. very worst actor who's ever been filmed in any project from student up until the highest levels of <laughs> children, film production. <laughs> he was so funny. He made this movie for me, other than the very ending, which we'll come to in just a moment. It was so hilarious when he was interviewing them. It's like, yeah, he's this one man. <laughs> God, it was good. It was so, so funny. This is absolutely unintentionally so bad it's good funny. You could watch this film with the room. You could watch it with all these other things, and there's a there's a argument to be made for it. What gets it over the line, even though it's still a terrible film, and I, and I rated it accordingly. What gets it over the line for me to make it truly funny is that final scene where this psychiatrist just comes out of nowhere. I've been training, as you said, Argento to be this yeah, yeah. paragon of goodness <laughs> to stand up against the Reaper and save all of humankind. And this yeah. guy, he's managed to do this. The the warrior of light. Down they they square off in this 10 minute battle while these two just stand there alongside them it's kind of with their arms folded going gee it's not going very well is it no oh no what's going to happen and then the psychiatrist says then he has to eat the heart if he eats the heart of the reaper the evil's <laughs> over apparently that's where his research failed though because then I was howling with laughter when he eats the heart and it just takes him over I'm like what did you fucking expect to happen <laughs> and he turns around and kills the final girl and I'm like thank god film ends the world dies yay as the a def no, no, it. hang on a second. As a defender of the final Friday, aren't you embarrassed yeah. to know that the hacks that wrote that fucking movie 
Probably ripped off a 15-year-old <laughs> Day of the Reaper. That is a good <laughs> point. And I will adjust my score accordingly. But, geez, I laughed hard when oh, suddenly it's hilarious. Like, oh, he's just driving along yeah. and explaining. He's just yeah. doing the exposition dump. And you could just tell that they got like, we need something else here. Yeah. We need something else. There's no hint to this whatsoever. We've already, you know, we, we start with 13 weeks ago, my best friends were killed, and I'm worried he's going to come back for me. And then, you know, try to set up. The nightmare sequences of the, yeah, the PTSD. Yes. From, yeah. Uh-huh. And then it's like, yeah, we need something to get this to feature length. So yeah. now it's a battle of cosmic good and evil. <laughs> I, I love, I wish that had been the whole film. <laughs> then it would have been a bit more, so much better. Yeah. So much funnier. Megan, now, what did you think? Well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Oh, sorry. Because Megan doesn't know this. She, Megan's about to learn this information. Ooh. Paul, did you write and direct a movie? I did. Was that, <gasps> is it a horror movie? No, it's not. Is it a psychological oh. thriller? It's, it is. It is basically. It is basically a slasher set in a crime world, though. But it's not really horror. It's more a crime thriller. And what is the name of that Ooh. movie? Reap. <laughs> and how many years have the thousands of your listeners wanted to see Reap? How many years? Ten years? Yeah, I was a bit older than bit older than Tim Ritter. I was about nineteen when I wrote it. So, and the budget was less. So, less than this film. I will guarantee you this. It looks better than this movie. That's all I can guarantee. What year did what year did you make the movie? Uh, we shot it in '98. Was it shot on Super uh, digital? VHS? Super VHS. No, Super VHS. Super yeah. VHS is a world better than a consumer eight millimeter camera. Super right, right. So what I want to do is, will you release Reap to the slasher community that follows the show, oh, so they can watch it and compare it to Day of Night, Day of the Reaper, so we can compare and contrast. <laughs> uh, I, if I did that, I think my co-host and best friend would uh, officially end our relationship. So I'm willing to live with that. Wow, <laughs> you're willing to live with it, great. <laughs> I think that that's great I'm that so you provided that context, Jason. I also was not aware that a 15 year old made this film. However, if I need to know all of the backstory on a filmmaker in order to enjoy the film. Just like when you have an adaptation of a film, like from a book or a video game or something, if I need to read the original material in order to enjoy the remake, that's shit to me. To me, that doesn't work. So if I need to know that it's a 15-year-old kid so I can cut him some slack on his film, that doesn't work for me. So yeah, that's I think that's a, extremely talented and incredible that he did that and ambitious. And I applaud him. And I applaud every single filmmaker because it is a hard thing to make a movie, to put whether you have an enormous budget or a tiny budget, and to put your art into the world and to open yourself up to scrutiny and and to critique. So I applaud that. But at the same time, I shouldn't need to know that it was a kid in order to enjoy this film. So I feel like maybe... Just maybe, and I'm going to let Jason speak for himself here. I feel like maybe Jason sometimes feels like we, we, it's two on one on the podcast, and we're kind of taking one angle, and he's coming from the other. And I think if I'm really fair, and I don't like to be overly fair to Jason because <laughs> that way, that way lies <laughs> lies ruin. But I think Jason's that trying to leads to the dark side. It does. And the dark side of this case is is seemingly. Trying to provide a different perspective and, and not defend, defend's the wrong word, but be fairer to some of these films that, we're, that we are critiquing and reviewing here. Jason, um, I should let you speak for yourself, though. Oh, 
well, thank you, Paul. No, I've, I, I, uh, I just feel, you know, I've kind of communicated this off and on throughout the episodes to greater or lesser extents. I don't think I've ever done a real good job of it. So I appreciate you highlighting it. I, what I feel is that, um, I want to find something, something interesting, something neat, something clever, something fascinating, something mm-hmm. curious about, and not every one of these movies has that, right? There's not an interesting little ba- backstory to everything, but can we find some sort of backstory that helps contextualize the film a little bit? That, can, that context won't necessarily make it a good film or a bad film or a worse film or a better film. It's just context. And I think what I've failed to do a little bit is try to say these two things can rest side by side. That the, right. the history, okay. the anecdotes, the, the, we can find delight in the behind the scenes of it and also um, um, not like the movie. Or we might be able to find some disgust, which we did earlier in the season with the burning in the, the behind the scenes. We're like, oh, man, that's not good. But we all kind of <laughs> like the movie, right? And so yeah. I think right, I've been right. trying to, I've been doing a very mediocre job of trying to say, hey, no. there's a left hand and the right hand. On the left hand, there's the context. And on the right hand, there's the and my, my end experience, the your end experience, <laughs> Megan's end experience. Mm. Those experiences may differ unless it's fatal games. And, um, <laughs> but there's this other, there's this other hand, which is the stories that go into these movies. And I think the, the big thing for me too, and then we can move on is just that we've heard a lot of stories about Casablanca. We've heard a lot of stories with gone with the wind about the making of it and the people who made those movies and the people who worked in those movies and the actors and their careers. And, you know, and, and we hear a lot about Christopher Nolan or Martin Scorsese or whoever, right? Or even, you know, Rennie Harlan. You know, we know a lot about Rennie Harlan's career. <laughs> but these movies... Whether we want to or not. Yeah, whether we want to or not. You know, <laughs> but there's movies with people like Clue Gulliger, who worked on the original Westerns, who was, who was a mm. studio yeah. actor. Who later in his life did so many genre movies, Return of the Living Dead, for, uh, A Nightmare yep. 2, the movie that we're going to talk about yeah. at the end of the episode, The Initiation. So many more. So many more. All the way up until like I, a couple years ago when he died. And it's like their stories don't get told as much. Faced, yeah. yeah. Their stories don't get as told as much. And yep, the stories right. behind these movies, there's no criterion collection. Even on something like Shudder, there's not like in-depth conversation about it. So... It's it's hard in a review format to do that sometimes, and um, to to or to balance that to balance the history and the review portion of it, and uh, you know. So I appreciate just the opportunity to try to be able to do that. So thank you both. Well, well I, I appreciate the fact that you're bringing that to the table rather than just going. Here's the film. Here's what Wikipedia said in one page, and that's the only context that I provide. So I think you're doing mm-hmm. an invaluable service. Beyond just, you know, the little things like conceiving of the show and putting the curating the list <laughs> yeah, together. Yeah, the little things. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've joked, I've joked a lot about how you've tortured us and like, obviously you haven't done it deliberately and I'm just playing it up a bit for, <laughs> for amusement purposes. So I don't really hold Jason accountable for much in my life other than some sleepless nights and a very early morning start today. I so. haven't intentionally done it to tor- torture Megan. 
but I have. <laughs> but intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that tracks. Yeah. If anything, Megan's collateral damage just... to get to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Megan. <laughs> uh, it happens. What are you going to do? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to echo what Paul says, and I think that a good review does incorporate history and context. So I agree that what you're doing is providing invaluable, an invaluable service for us and for our listeners. So thank you both. Yes. And and we got stuck in the we're stuck in that we chose to put ourselves in the film history category on uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, so it's even more important that, that you're doing true. this then. Yes. Very All true. right. Where do we go for here, Very Megan? True. All right. Where are we going? We're going Oh, we're going to somewhere good. We're going to Wes Craven's A Nightmare in Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah! Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Which is, uh, spoiler, my favorite slasher. My favorite of not only 1984, but just in general. I'm wearing a Nightmare on Elm Street shirt. It It is the film that got me into slashers when I was a kid. And so I'm very, very excited to talk about it. I've actually talked about it before on Binge Movies um, when I defended it. Um in the head to head. So I'm very excited to talk about it. It has an iconic villain with Freddy Krueger who enters people's dreams and he was a child murderer and it's got an iconic final girl, um, played by Heather Langenkamp. And so with Nancy and yeah, so I'm very, very excited to talk about this first entry. So take it away guys. Tell, tell us your thoughts. I can only imagine the context. I'm. I'm actually fascinated, Jason, to what you're to bring to table for this because, as much as I know, as much as the next horror film fan about Wes Craven, where this came from, and I've seen the the big documentaries and all that stuff. The, the six hour, uh, is it six hours or I, is that the Friday thirtieth one? Anyway, the very long Never Sleep uh, Again. Yeah, Never Sleep, Never Sleep Again documentary, which was fantastic. So I do have probably more than the layperson, but I'm sure you've got more than that. There's there's nothing really to do here for me other than to praise. To the, to the high heavens, just about every facet of this film. Yeah. And when we did this film, Jason, on the second Spooktacular, a couple of years back, I think I was a little, a little lower on it than Dream Warriors because Dream Warriors is just pure fun. It's just the formula, probably the perfect balance between Freddy being ludicrous and ridiculous and this nightmare, literally, that he is in this particular film. But when you consider the context out of which this film comes, how if you'll pardon the expression, how dead the slasher basically is by November 1984. There is so much we should be thankful for. And this film is so far superior 
at every conceivable level. <laughs> yep. Particularly <laughs> from the idea, which is, I'm just going to say the word. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to leave it. Then, Jason, for you to pick up and roll with. It's genius. Here, here. It was so eloquent. I lost what I was going to say. Just listening to you. <laughs> no, you you talked about use the word dead to describe the genre, the subgenre of slashers, and we kind of talked about it at the top and through every review so far. <laughs> um, isn't it fascinating? But the movie that really, really has the most clones that kind of truly kicked off the boom is 1980s Friday the 13th. And by this point, Jason mm-hmm. has been already been killed off before Freddy is even born. Yeah. Now, Jason will eventually come back and he will come back supernatural. <laughs> Would he have come back supernatural if it weren't for Freddy? Very good point. Right? Good question. And those two basically run the rest of the decade. It's basically nightmare sequels and Friday sequels. And the number of slashers that get produced decreases, decreases, decreases. Um, there's obviously more, and we get stuff like Shocker and uh, uh, the, the bunch of Friday the Otherwise, Craven Joint. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We get other Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street sort of ripoff movies like the horror show, and there's a, another one. Um, it also involves fire and stuff, but uh, and has teen delinquents in a mental hospital. What the hell is that one? I, I forget, but whatever. Somebody will comment on Bad it. Bad dreams? Bad dreams. That's it. Bad dreams. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's so interesting. It's almost like Paramount so desperately wants to get away from Jason. They, they keep trying to get rid of him, right? They kill him off and they <laughs> do one without him. And then they're like, okay, that's it. And then they're going to eventually bring him back here uh, in short order. And um, all the rest of these are out of steam. And here he comes with a completely different concept. Maybe the ultimate sl- slasher weapon with the finger gloves and opening on those yes. finger gloves and opening with that small frame and then blasting it out into widescreen where we see the making of the glove and how filthy and grimy it is. This isn't a guy who goes around with a knife. This is a guy whose hand is literally a weapon, which of course goes into the idea of touch, the bad touch. He reaches out to you. He can reach out to you through your dreams. He is, was originally just point blankly a child molester and now it's coded as a child mm-hmm. molester he's a quote-unquote filthy child murderer uh with one mm-hmm. of the wackiest soap opera performances <laughs> um <laughs> probably the only not great part of the movie um other than and, the, and ending, the very very the end, very the very, very end, yeah which which is bob shay's fault um but yeah i mean <laughs> we talked about this before paul and megan it, We'll bring you this part of the conversation because Paul and I are like, this movie is excellent until about the last five minutes. And hundred percent. And then on top of that, like when um, Ronnie, what's her name? Ronnie Blakely. Is that her name? The mom, the mom, the the soap opera performance. Yeah. Yeah. What's her, what's her? (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes. It's Ronnie Blake. It's Ronnie Ronnie Blakely. Yes. Okay. I love the special effect. I have no idea why she becomes a corpse. And then sinks into the bed. Into the bed. <laughs> <laughs> when she, yeah, when she's brought him into the real world, and now the real world is applying dream logic. I I, mm. I I don't understand it. And I know what Craven said, and we talked about this before, Paul. And I'm I'm only mm. bringing this up because I want to hear what Megan has to say about it. Is Craven's whole point was he interpreted the entire movie is the entire movie was a dream. It was a dream within a dream, 
And it was actually Nancy's premonition of what was about to happen. And so at the end, when it's all foggy or whatever, she's going off into the fulfillment of this precognitive dream that she said. Now that's real heavy psychology stuff. And he, I think he had a psychology and degree, a theology degree from Wheaton. Um, so he, I don't know that lands that, but the, it just, the rule is if I bring you into the real world, then you're tangible. I can kick your ass. And that still yep. doesn't quite work. And then she's like, she remembers what uh, Johnny Depp said. <laughs> and it's like, if I don't believe in this dream, it won't have any power. I love the fact that it's Springwood, Ohio. And when he talks to her about dreams not having any power over you, there's palm trees behind them uh, when they're on a <laughs> promenade in Los Angeles. I am from Ohio. <laughs> we do not have no, palm, no trees. palm trees. We don't have palm trees at the local <laughs> parks, no. So, but yeah, so it's just, it kind of loses itself towards the end. But the rest of it is so strong. Robert England is so strong. The direction is so strong. The visual is so strong. The kills are so strong. Freddy is such a terrifying yeah. character. Uh, how can you fault a movie? And it's got John Saxton in it, who is, is incredible. He's incredible in this movie. I've seen him play a cop like this in Dario Argento's He's in Tenebrae. And he's, uh, he's in 50 million other movies where he plays this exact same character. This is the best one. This is best turn as a cop ever. He's just the best. And uh, yeah, so this movie is uh, every bit the classic. It's, it's yeah, I, I, I don't go any further because we'll spoil the next episode. <laughs> Good. I know, I was thinking that too. I was like, how do I talk about this without spoiling the episode? That's exactly yeah, what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, uh, but what I will say is, and I've already gushed about it before, and I, I agree with everything you guys said. Um, I actually don't mind the last five minutes. I mean, it's, I don't think the last five minutes are as strong as the rest of the film, but it's, it's okay. It's fine. I wish it did kind of end earlier. Yeah. Like if it had just ended, you know, with Nancy defeating uh, Freddy Krueger, I think that would have been much stronger. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, this rewatching this for the umpteenth time in order to prep for this, I am just always blown away by how the movie wastes no time. It jumps mm. in immediately. Yeah. We get right into it. There is no wasted space, no wasted time. The pacing is exceptional. Cinematography is great. Um, not all of the acting is great. Like, you know, the mom is, <laughs> not, she's in a different uh, project. Um, I don't know what she's doing, but she's somewhere else. She's a filthy child um, murderer. But, you know, <laughs> oh my God, yeah, that is just... Woo! <laughs> that is so we bad. We burned him up, baby. So we bad. burned him up. Oh, I know. Mommy got the bad yeah. man or whatever she said. It's okay. Yeah, Mommy like, got the bad oh man, honey. The only note she got was, you're a drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're drunk the whole film. But she sounds drunk in the scenes oh, where she's like, I don't feel like drinking anymore. That's true. She sounds drunk when she's supposed to be sober. Right? <laughs> <laughs> she probably is. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, but I th this film is doing so many interesting things. Like, it's it's doing things so technically great, like, as far as the special effects. I mean, the kills are innovative. They're unique. There are kids. Like, that bed scene where Johnny Depp dies and the oh, fountain of blood coming yeah. out, that has been burned on my brain since I was a oh, child. Yeah. Like, that death scene has haunted me. And when Tina's dying and, she, oh. and her body's getting slashed invisibly and she's getting, like, tossed around in the air, that is so innovative and creative and riveting. And this 
film does that. But what it's also great at doing is with Nancy as a final girl, what I love about her is that she is traumatized, as we've seen other final girls be. And but she's not just a passive um, victim. Like she takes agency and she's like, I'm, you know, going to defend myself. I want to survive. So she is an a like she has agency. And I love that, mm. that she's trying to combat you know, what's happening. And I also love, uh, yeah, Wes Craven was an English and psychology major. And I think he did get his master's in like philosophy or something too. And it was Wheaton College that he went to. Um, and he was a professor. And, you know, as someone who's kind of like a low key fake academic, I love that he's kind of infusing you know, psychology and academia into the slasher world and that he was inspired by Hmong refugees from the Cambodian genocide and how they couldn't sleep and how then they were dying. And so I love that he's taking a real problem and infusing that into this film and on a very visceral level that is just exceptional. And watching this film again, I mean, it still stands the test of time, not only against other slashers from 1984 and not only other slashers in the 80s, but just horror films in general. Like it is just an exceptional piece of storytelling and filmmaking. And I just, I adore it. And the more, you know, and when I watch it repeatedly, I'm like, oh God, am I not going to like it this time? And no, always do. I always appreciate it more. Notice something different. And it's just, it's a very clever film. I think Wes Craven is a really clever filmmaker. And I just, I, I could go on and on and on because I just, I love this film so much. I think it's just fantastic. Can I just add one thing? From of course. Very quick summary earlier on. And I think it's the, the fact that this, and I said this on, on the Binge Movies episode, Jason, so for you, Crossover listeners, apologies. I think the concept of you are most vulnerable when you are asleep. That yes. everybody sleeps. Everybody dreams, even those people out there who think they don't. You dream, you just don't remember it. You don't wake up at the appropriate right. point. And you have to. And yeah, and right. yeah, that's right. how you remain psychologically sound, it's how you process it, it's all the rest of that stuff. Yep. That there's no defending yourself. You know, it's one thing to be woken up by something scary. And then you've got at least, however the odds might be stacked against you, you've got a chance to defend yourself. But in your sleep, those victims mm-hmm. of sleep paralysis will know what, exactly what I'm talking about. There is no defending yeah. yourself. And Wes Craven plays on that idea so brilliantly in this film. It just brings it all to life in the most exaggerated but awesome kind of way. And that's what, what truly stands out for me in this not just this film, obviously, the, the whole franchise until it becomes, as you said earlier in the episode, Jason, a parody of itself by uh, Freddy's Dead. So, <laughs> yeah, fantastic film. And, uh, yeah, to, to echo what you both said, we will be hearing more about it next week. All right. So let's talk about our final film in the blood pool, The Initiation. Before the initiation begins, the subjects are studied. Even their dreams are recorded. Before the initiation begins, the testing areas are selected. The sorority house, the sanitarium, the empty shopping mall. And just before the initiation begins, a toast is required. Being young, staying young, and dying young. (laughs) 
the initiation, a fraternal tradition for over 100 years, created for only one purpose. Pleasant dreams. The initiation, the ceremony that will never die, as long as new blood is pledged. Which introduces question mark Daphne Zuniga since she technically was in uh, like the dorm that dripped yep, blood or whatever right. like a couple of years yep. earlier. So oh. I don't know how she's introduced again here, but okay. Reintroduced uh, but doesn't yeah, have the same ring, does it? Reintroduced. <laughs> I know it does not. <laughs> But yeah, but Daphne Zuniga is a, a, a young woman who has dreams where she's constantly seeing uh, this man burning. And the opening scene of the film is a little girl who walks in on a woman and uh, a guy, presumably her father, but not, um, having sex. And then another guy comes in and he gets burned. And so anyway, so Daphne Zuniga keeps having this problem where she has this recurring nightmare. And so she does a sleep study and a whole bunch of things. And she's also in a sorority that she's pledging. And yeah, and then some murders. <laughs> Clue Gulliger's in it. Vera Miles. Yes. From Psycho and Psycho yes, 2. Yes, Vera Miles. Yes. What was remarkable about Very this true. movie, watching it right after Nightmares, how many of these same elements are in A Nightmare on Elm Street? The sleep study. The nightmares, the man, the burned man, the, there's so much of it. So similar. And it's not a ripoff situation because they, they're contemporary films. And it's like one of them does one thing with those elements and the other one does what the initiation does, which is significantly clunkier. It's just such a clunky movie. And then the last 20 minutes kick in. <laughs> the last oh boy, do they 20 minutes of this movie. Actually, I kind of like it once they get to the mall. It takes forever. Yes. Yep. But then when the last 20 minutes in the mall kick in, I didn't see it coming. I did not see it coming, the 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 twist ending of this movie. And I loved it. Because it was so off the wall. And it's a version of another thing we've seen, <laughs> but it's done so much better here. Does it make a lot of sense? Not really, but it's enough though. It makes enough. It makes yeah. enough mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm. I thought the mall setting, like I wanted the whole movie being these kids being stalked through this mall. I mean, yes. Yeah. Other than, um, agreed. Eric, uh, Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. <laughs> we don't have a mall slasher. Uh, chopping Mall? Those are robots, later. though. Everybody says Chopping Mall, but it's sci-fi-ish. They yeah, have okay. lasers. I, I want <laughs> a, 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 a killer killing people, teens who are spending the night in a mall. Fear Street. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Fear Street. The first Fear yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. get that, but that's that's recent. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's yeah, not an older yeah. slasher. But yes. Yeah. So I mean, those are my thoughts of it. I really, um, I really liked the last twenty minutes of this movie. It took a long ass time to get there, but I liked it. The last twenty <laughs> minutes. This this one for me is it's a it's a movie. It's a film. It's seen. It's shot. Yeah. 
reasonably well. It looks yes. pretty good. I mean, everything pales into comparison to Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I made the offhand comment before. It's Nightmare on Elm Street Daylight. But then a clear second this week for me is the initiation. It's There's enough here to recommend yep. this film. I, this was completely new to me. I'd never even heard of it. So this was one of these delightful kind of out of left field. Like, I mean, not as good as one we – I don't want to say names now because we are getting very close to the epilogue <laughs> episode. But, but – Another one that I had no, never heard of, or not, that's not true, I had never heard of, I had never heard of this one, had zero expectations, thought it would fall into the same category as the rest of the, rest of the group this week, other than a Nightmare, and a little peek behind the curtains, I haven't been watching these in order. I didn't start with January and work my way through to December, so the initiation was the last one that I watched. I kind of just watched them as they came to hand, or the mood struck me, and this is one of the earlier ones I watched oh, wow. for this episode, so probably the- <laughs> All so downhill. <laughs> Well, a little, bit, a little bit. Obviously, I knew about Nightmare, yeah. but I was like, okay, the initiation, not bad, not bad at all. And I, I really was middling on it because of, as you say, it's, the pacing's very languid at the start. There is this surprise. To my shock, Clue Gallagher gets killed very early in this film yes. where his name is yeah. in the credits. I didn't see that coming at all. And and then we, and when we finally do get to the mall, yeah, I'd say it's longer than that. I'd say it's the last almost half film, as you say, maybe 40 minutes of the film is genuinely tense and there's some great kills. And they don't skimp on the gore, and Daphne Zinnigan is a fine um, final girl. So yeah, I dug this movie. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, Megan. All right. So this was my second time seeing it. I saw this. I thought I had not seen it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm excited to see this." And then I started watching. It. I was like, "Oh yeah, I've seen this before. <laughs> like a very, very long time ago." Um, so I didn't remember much. Uh, so it was kind of a nice you know, surprise because there was only, there were only parts of it I remembered. Um, but yeah, I liked this too. Uh, I think Daphne Zuniga is a really, um, solid final girl. I think she does a great job screaming and (laughs) I think she's also great. I mean, we're, I'm going to spoil this, but as the secret evil twin, I think she does a good job in that. And again, we get a secret (laughs) evil twin. I love it. I love the melodrama. I know it's so exciting. Yeah, three in the whole uh, run of the fr- of the slashes. Yes. It's the ending yes. you guys wanted from Happy Birthday to me. Yep. Yes. She's, exactly. She's like, I did all this to yes. ruin you, and I'm gonna kill you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The initiation gets yeah. it. But yeah, I do agree that the pacing is very slow, and I wish I also wish it kind of like within the first like ten minutes they just were at the mall yep. because the mall is great. The it's a great use of space. It's tense. Uh, the, you know, there's some interesting kills. Like I, I kind of love the use of bow and arrow. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, and it, and it feel you feel the dread. So yeah, I I like this, and I, it is really interesting how the initiation has so many elements, like of the evil twin, um, and the burning and dreams. Like it, it's just it's interesting to see kind of this all come together. Even though, like you said, Jason, it's it is a contemporary of Nightmare on Elm Street. It's not you know stealing from it or ripping it off or anything but yeah no i think this is a i think this is a solid slasher it kind of is more of a drama at first that becomes a slasher yes because it's like what's going on with her mom and her dad what's going on with her dreams she's being hazed psychological yeah is it yeah psychological thriller she's being hazed at the sorority and the different the different i think the um the girls who make up her attic apartment (laughs) <laughs> in the sorority <laughs> house or wherever they live whatever yeah, not not bad for for um what like what, what they're trying to get in they've already been given they're the ru- yeah they're pledges or they're rushing or whatever yeah pledges thank you yes. um 
I think I like all those characters. I like that group of girls. I like their rapport with each other. Um, they've got, they're all written. They're not really written like people, but they're all written. They're all kind of witty. They have this kind of witty banter and they're all like really like these mm-hmm. smart girls. But the whole, that whole, the actual initiation part of it kind of peters out when the one girl's just like, we don't have to take this abuse. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to go to jail or be a part of this group. I'm like, well, that's the whole premise of this movie. <laughs> and she just, yeah. she just <laughs> yeets herself out of the film. I was like, it took so long to get to the initiation, the prank. And the one girl is just like, I'm not going to be in this movie anymore. Goodbye. And she just leaves. That was I'm, ass- so- I'm assuming that's a bit of a comment commentary about how far hazing had gone. So there's at least yes. there's one yes. sensible person right. who just goes, nah, right. I'm out. I don't give a shit about this sorority. Goodbye. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to be treated like I this agree, just to yeah. be part of your club or whatever she says to her. Like, you're not yeah. treating us like humans. And- I get it, but it's like we went so long <laughs> and you established this character for so long and she oh, leaves the movie. <laughs> it's like, I liked her. <laughs> you know, you know, why did I spend so she much out. time with somebody who's not going to factor in to anything? You know, it was just, it felt. <laughs> Would it have made was, more sense clunky. for her to come back in some way or for some reason. Yeah, it's clunky in that way. Yep. The parts aren't bad, but they don't come together in an entirely satisfying way. That's fair. The subterfuge with Clue Gulliger. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the subterfuge <laughs> with Clue Gulliger and, and how much time we spent with him and him on the phone. I was like, okay, all right. I see kind of where this is going. And then, like you said, Paul, when he gets out to Ooh. the car and immediately is taken out, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I thought that was going to lead somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of red herrings and a lot of like. Yes. Like false plot lines that you think, oh, well, this plot line will lead us to the killer. And Megan, do you think that's intentional or is it just sloppy screenwriting? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's intentional. Um, But yeah, I mean, probably not the sharpest of the screenwriting, but I got the sense that it was intentional to have all these. Because like the main mean, the main mean girl, right? Like what's the point of her? Yeah. Other than to initiate the. I guess as the. The, yeah, I think that's it to the, the catalyst for why they're there in the middle of the night. Because why else would they be in a mall in the middle of the night, I guess? I don't we know. We spend a yeah. lot of time with her in her love life. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do. That, that is true. We do. So you, like, do. you would think, it okay, well, is she going to be the killer? But no. Nope. Right. Nope. <laughs> nope. No, but that, but like, it's interesting what you were saying, Jason, about like how we, like all the girls like in the attic room are, you know, very witty. Cause then there's also that whole like subplot about how one of them is a rape survivor yes! and like how she was like molested as a yes! kid and then she, and she's a virgin and then she has sex for the first time after she reveals that story. And it's like, wait, what? Well, yeah, but yeah, because she's like, I like, I like, yeah, I have this here's the explanation. Like everybody's making fun of me for being a yes. virgin. Right. Right. Well, here's why I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself a virgin. And that keeps me from being intimate. It's like, it's not badly written as far as dialogue and stuff, but it's like, no, where's this coming from? And <laughs> right. then she's killed. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's, he, it's nice <laughs> that he is tender with her like that. He's not an asshole about it. He's like, you know, that's right, not your right. fault or whatever. And it doesn't change anything. And, we don't have to do anything. And she's like, no, I want to. Okay, great. Nice scene. But we spent a lot of time <laughs> dealing with her virginity, you know? And it's yeah. like, <laughs> I, I hate to be like, there's, t- there's too much characterization in this movie, but 
it's <laughs> there's a lot of characterization for a lot of people who aren't don't end up being substantial to the plot. Yeah, I'm going to draw it's a long bow here on that point, but just bear with me for a second when I say this. I think, even though the film is much longer for different reasons, I think the quintessential template for how you build a bunch of bit characters that you give a crap about belongs to Aliens. And yes, it, it gets just the right amount for these different sold, not all of them, because some of them literally are just names that die, but that sort of <laughs> yeah. five or six characters that are after Ripley and Hicks, they are very memorable to me. And it's one of my favorite films of all time, so of course, but I hope that makes sense. I think, yep. and this film come, predates obviously Aliens by a couple of years, but I think there are so many different attempts to build just enough into the background characters so that you're meant to give half a crap when they die, or at least right. want them to die in the, in the case of the, the villains or the, <laughs> the antagonists of the piece. And this film just, just goes too far that other way, and so 97 yep. minutes feels like 115 minutes yep. and no slasher with the possible exception of, of some of Wes Craven's work, should ever get to be over 100 minutes long. There's, it's not a genre that lends itself to, to extended sequences and the like. It's got to move fast. It's, it's got to be like a Nightmare on Elm Street was. A pretty, pretty flat 90 minutes is, generally speaking, the sweet spot for a slasher film. And this film just goes a bit too far with what you two are both talking about. I hope that makes some sense. Paul, that was perfect. No, it does, Paul. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought up Aliens. Not only because it's my absolute favorite film of all time. Hey. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm very glad about that. But you're right. It is the perfect template for how do you introduce characters in a very succinct way where you get a sense of who they are and their rapport with the other characters. It does that exceptionally well. Um, so yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think that this film is trying to do that. And that's probably why it's going in these weird mm. directions of, yep. of so much backstory, but right. But it's not, it's not doing it concisely enough. It's not editing it tightly, but, but it's, it's trying and I applaud it for the attempt. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard to say like it's an overwritten slasher, but that was what it would be. It's overwritten. <laughs> I think it is. Yes. And it's yeah. what yeah. is there is not bad. That scene, like you were saying, Megan, no. it's not a bad scene. It's a good character scene and it brings that character and makes that character feel very real, but she's ultimately going to get a bow and arrow or whatever. However she dies <laughs> two seconds later. <laughs> and then yes, Paul, like to your point. Yeah. It's so that when she does get killed, we feel extreme sympathy for her because she just found the acceptance. She never thought she was going to be able to find based on this thing yeah. that was done against her. And she found it. She found the guy. It's like, that's not your fault. I, I that doesn't change how I feel about you, and they both get killed. <laughs> and so we're supposed to be like, "Oh, it's and horrible," I, but it's too much. It's yes. too much. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, I think that other than Clue Gallagher's death, her death is the most surprising because I think in most slashes post nineteen ninety, she'd have lived. She would have been the other person that got out because they did spend this time on her, and she yep. did have that yep. moment right. of acceptance. And even though the guy probably would have died. Yep. That would have it still would have been traumatizing for her, but she would have been you know grown out of this and and maybe been a despite the trauma of it all um, more able to live a, a better life if I can put it that way. Yeah, but now nah, yeah. we'll just kill her off, as you say, two <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a bad movie, but uh, clunky, clunky. Yes, that's a fair assessment. All right, are we ready to dole out some awards? Time to do that. This should be easy this week. All right. <laughs> it should be. 
but you never know. There might be a curveball. Who knows? All right. So let's start with uh, best poster. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. With the wide-eyed Nancy and the claw. Yes. The, the big the, the claw. The, the, it's the iconic. Gloves. Yep. Yep. Gotta love it. Okay. Designed by 25-year-old. I actually did some research on this. Matthew Joseph Peake. Ooh. Well, excellent stuff. Very nice, Matthew excellent. Joseph Peake. Stunning. All right. Best final girl. Nancy. 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 <laughs> She's fantastic. The quickest blood okay. pool awards ever. I know. <laughs> she, it, Best kill. Can I just say oh, why? Yes, Very quickly, a, why? Yes, of course. Because of course. to your point, she's smart. She has agency. But at the same time, yes. Heather Langenkamp still feels like a teenager. Yes. She doesn't feel like a 40-year-old woman who's smart playing a teenager. <laughs> she feels like an 18-year-old who is still not completely she's naive but intelligent and that's what makes her believable yes yes i think i yep i agree the only thing other thing i would add is that i think her expression of fear is so palpable which i think is great and yeah but anyway again i could go on and on and on about her but maybe i'll talk more later okay best kill why don't you tell us first megan this time okay my best kill is the bed scene with johnny depp and the fountain of blood yeah, it's mine as well. There was only one one other possible option for me. I wonder if Jason's going the other, that other option. There's one kill in this movie that disturbs me to no end. And it is after this is God and the entire chase and all this sort of stuff. We shoot out to the real world and there's thrashing under the covers and the boyfriend... Rod pulls the covers back. He sees her torso yep, slashed yep. open. There's nobody in the room. She shoots up into the air and she's flying around the air, yeah. rolling around the ceiling. Blood is being smeared everywhere. He's in the corner, absolutely powerless to do anything. And she just falls dead, slashed to ribbons. That is one of the most effective kills of all time. Even when they try to do it again in New Nightmare, it's not even one tenth as good. It's still awesome. <laughs> hey, Dylan, ever play Skin the Cat? It is the best kill in this movie. The second runner-up is Johnny Depp in the Blood. Yeah. I yeah, totally Tina's see where you're coming from. Yeah, Tina's is my runner-up. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yep. Likewise. That, they're the only two that even yeah. were remotely considered yeah. for me this week. And I totally get where you're coming from there, Jason, and, and, I, and I do agree. But in, if I think of A Nightmare on Elm Street, other than the image of Freddy with, with his glove and the red and green sweater, my brain instantly goes to the everything being sucked into the bed, and then that geyser of blood hitting the uh, ceiling. It, it, to my mind, is the most, arguably the most iconic kill through this whole. Well, we'll wait till next week. <laughs> <laughs> my mind goes. Yeah. My mind goes to the cl- the glove up to the tub between her legs. Oh, oh that's yeah. what I think that's of. Such a great shot. So iconic. But my yes, favorite yes. line in that your guys have seen is when. Um, her dad is like, where's the ME? He's like, he's been puking the John since he got here. The guy. That's such <laughs> a great, like, hard-boiled line. He's like, you know, where's the medical exam? Where's the coroner? He's like, he's been puking the John since he got here. <laughs> it's like, that just tells you how <laughs> bad this is, you know? It's great. Great line. Yeah. Such a great line. Yeah. That, uh, my jaw hit the floor the first time I saw that. I was like, what am I watching? Anyway, so great. So many great kids. Okay. Best cult classic. 
All right, I think I finally got this. Right, I only take it only took me six attempts, but I think <laughs> I'm here. Can't be a All nightmare right. on the street for me because this was too popular and too mainstream, and of course we get 75 billion sequels. So I'm going with the only other film which I enjoyed this week. I'm going with Initiation because this is, to my mind, the, the literal definition of a cult film. Like how people know about it. Clearly, Jason found it. I had never heard of it, so it's the big hidden gem of the week, if I can put it that way, and hence my uh, my choice. Jason? Arrow does have an HD release of the initiation, by the way. It's really nice. Right. Um, ready for controversy? <laughs> Always. <laughs> I didn't give the award for cult movie this week because I don't think any of them qualify. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that was an option. Oh, wow. You should have told me that six weeks ago. I just could not make the decision because I don't think any of these qualify. I, I, I can't give the award this week. All right. right. I'm sorry. Noting for future I reference, thought you were going to give it to Dave the Reaper. Of award. Yeah, I thought you were going to give it to Dave it, the Reaper. It's, it, is, it is a cult movie. It has a reputation, yes. but, but it's not good. I don't, <laughs> I don't really like that 20 minutes is, is funny, like, you know, that we, Paul and I talked about, but to get there, it's so bonkers, but I don't want to put anybody <laughs> through that to have to get to that point. So many scenes of just people standing around the beach and nothing is happening. It's a it's 15 year old, a 50 year old went out and made a movie with his friends. I, I have those. <laughs> Paul has those, you know, like I want to see these movies. You guys, have. you don't, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I do. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally fair. And I, yeah, I'm not mad at that at all um, about the abstaining from voting. I'm with you, Paul. I picked the initiation, even though I'd seen it before. So technically it's not an underseen gem for me, <laughs> but I, I think it is an underseen gem. So I agree with you. And I picked that. Awesome. Um, do we even need to do best? Yeah. Film? Well, we're going to give a score. Screw Screw it. It. Scores. Yeah. Oh, that's right. The sharp objects. Yes. Okay. So, all right. Let's do it. Paul, what's your what's your pick? Surprise, to the surprise of absolutely <laughs> yeah. no one. A Night on Elm Street, and I am bumping this to a 4.5 sharp objects out of five. All right, Jason, what about you? Five out of five. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Nice. I also chose Nightmare on Elm Street to no one's surprise, and my score is also a five out of yeah. five sharp objects. Woo-hoo. Especially in the context of now having done this yes. show year by year by year, you're like, this is just a different. I knew it, but having now lived it <laughs> month by yes. month, I'm like, this yep. is a different level. This is a different level. Exactly. Actually, witnessing it. Yes. <laughs> totally agree. All right. So, everyone, you want to make sure that you tune in to our final episode, which is going to be our epilogue where we hand out even more awards and talk (laughs) about our overall takes, takeaways, opinions, if things have changed. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about slashers and kind of recapping our journey through the golden age of slashers. Um, You can also find us on Instagram at the slashers podcast. You can also find us the slashers on letterboxd so come say hello follow us let us know what you think we've gotten some great feedback on social media already about 
you know, what you yeah. think of the films and what you think of our takes. So please let us know. We love hearing from you. I'm Megan from Spoiler Bees Theater. I'm Paul from the Canton. I'm Jason from Binge Movies. All right. And just remember, don't let them catch you. <laughs>